My favorite quote is Samuel Beckett's, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And after whatever holiday gluttony is in store for me, I am starting another round of cutting on January 1st, and you can join me. Whether you'll be losing weight or making your abs more visible, it's definitely easier with community. So I decided to host an accountability forum where you can see how I prepare to crush it in 2021. Let's all feel better together. I will be doing almost daily video posts on my American Glutton Marco Polo channel so we can work out, meal prep, and do this together. Real time and real accountability. Signing up is super easy. Go to our website, AmericanGlutton.net. And I'll see you January 1st. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today on the show, I welcome Nick Shaw. Nick is the founder and CEO of Renaissance Periodization, a diet and fitness company founded on evidence-based practices to help their members achieve health, athletic performance, and physical goals. Nick has also recently written a wonderful book called Fit for Success. Please enjoy our conversation. Nick Shaw, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Ethan. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. I feel like I've had um, a bunch of the RP dudes on, and so I'm really glad to finally get you on, too. Yeah, yeah. It seems like uh, I think Mike and Jared have been on, Mike maybe even a couple times. He's uh, he's a character. Yeah, and we've had Dr. Nadolsky on a couple of times, too. That's right, yeah. They're both characters. You guys definitely have some characters at RP. Dude. You know, I feel I feel almost bad sometimes because if I ever go after, you know, especially Dr. Mike, if I ever go after him, you know, he likes to rant and rave. And, you know, I kind of come on. I'm almost like the yin to his yang where he's like the really sort of outspoken, ranty guy. And I'm just like the calm, cool, collected guy. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. People might think I'm boring, I guess. <laughs> I just, speaking of the rants, there was just a a rant he did on, I think, um, Mark Bell's podcast where he was talking about full range of motion and he was just, I mean, like the, the, the time, the next day in the gym and I think about full range of motion a lot, the next day in the gym, I was hypercritical of myself after listening to that. Yeah, he, uh. He went, uh, he did pretty good on that. That was definitely a rant. You know, the, the Mark Bell podcast for sure. Like that crowd is just going to eat that up. Like, yeah. You know, they, they kind of like to be a little edgy and stuff. So that's, that's right up there. Alley. That's, that's preaching to the choir there. They were egging him on a bit. They were, they were definitely getting him, teeing him up for that. Oh boy. I'm sure they were. Yeah. It's cool, man. Uh, you know, they're, they're good guys out there too. I like them a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a book. Fit for Success, which is an awesome book, and it, it it actually brings up something that I've been thinking about a lot lately that I'm really, really excited to talk to you about, mm-hmm. and, and we could get right into it, but the way I've been thinking about it is, like, as I find myself today in my life, 
I can look at like strength and willpower and uh, personal responsibility and 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 look at the dichotomy between like strength and weakness, power and powerlessness, cause and effect, responsibility and oppression and 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 I can for sure see points in my life where I was on the opposite side of where I am now and and I, I really do believe in my heart that these are just perspectives on how I decide to view the, the, the stuff around me and the situation I find myself in. But the, the ability to go from one to the other is not quite as simple as just saying to somebody, be strong or, or uh, be responsible. I don't think that that really works. I think that there's got to be – a bit of a bridge. And now you've worked for years helping people and, and, and then you found yourself in a situation where you actually had to implement some of this. Yeah. So real quick summary, I guess, just for, for everyone listening, uh, you know, I worked with a lot of top athletes, just really, really fortunate uh, that RP is able to work with some of the best athletes in the world. And it's really cool because you get to see a lot of things that these folks are doing that really makes them stand out. Like what makes these people the best, most successful in the entire world at their craft? So that's really cool to see, you know, been able to help a lot of people myself over the years. And you just start to notice some trends and themes. And, you know, of course, I'm kind of a book nerd and just started reading a ton and I kept seeing no matter what the the field, right? It's not just fitness. It could be personal finances. It could be business. It could be, you know, whatever, right? But there's like these common traits and principles that seem to be almost universal for people if they're successful. And I just I was, I really became a nerd in the arena of what made people successful, what makes these people tick. And, you know, again, I'm maybe decent at some of these things or, or whatever I was, and then 2020 hits, right? And everyone's been impacted negatively. And my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had surgery. She had to start chemo. I was only able to go with one session with her. You know, COVID hit, quarantine hit, shelter in place hits. And again, this is back in March where no one knew what was really going to happen. Right. And it just would have been really easy to kind of play the pity party. Woe is me. Oh, you know, I'm a victim. There's nothing I can do. And I just sort of refused to do that. And I sort of started to think back to sort of everything that I had learned. I'm like, okay, what do people do to go overcome adversity, overcome obstacles? What are these people doing? And there's these traits and like, it's easy to kind of talk about them, whatever, but it's a little bit different. Like you were saying to, to truly live them. And I was forced to, because again, we're homeschooling two kids. We're doing all this stuff. Like it really seemed like our world was turned upside down in the matter of weeks and, you know, here we are. I'm like, oh, I, I got to really live these principles every day of my life because uh, what else am I going to do? Because yeah. it's way too easy to just get down on yourself and just kind of go down those negative spirals. Those negative spirals, which are kind of self-perpetuating and, and you, yeah. you get caught in one. I mean, listen, I don't have the, the straight up answer to this, but like, and I think education is a big part of it because if if if, uh -huh. if if we if we use the analogy of just dieting and and like I wake up one day having never thought about dieting and go like holy mackerel I'm 100 pounds overweight I I want to do something about this just being strong doesn't get me anywhere if I don't know what to do yep if I if I don't have a plan and so 
there's got to be some, you know, I, I, I think it's education, but it's also there's got to be an incremental way to get there, right? Yeah. I mean, dieting, I think, is a really good analogy. And the, that's that's my background. That's what I know best. So, of course, there's a lot of those analogies in the book. And it's like you can't go from zero to 100 overnight, like you're saying. When it comes to nutrition, you know, what does RP talk about? Well, we have the pyramid of like, hey, start here at the bottom, focus on these things first. Once you master the basics, you kind of slowly work your way up. It's not like you all of a sudden one day go, all right, well, it's time to get on my fitness journey and you change every single thing about your life because that's just a really bad approach and it almost never works for people. Maybe someone that's just uh, an outlier. But again, usually you just want to start small because here's the thing. If you start small, what happens? And it's funny. I just read a book. It's called Tiny Habits. Uh, It's probably actually a really good book for anyone listening to this if they want to make some changes. You just you start really small. And you actually start about as small as you possibly can because you just build a little momentum. You just build a little bit of some positive momentum, some self-confidence. And then what happens? Well, you, you get that. And now you go on to a little bit more right? and a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, after you know a few weeks or a month of that, you're feeling really good about yourself. You've made some positive changes. And then what happens? Well, usually just as kind of a default byproduct, you start doing a little bit more like – Maybe now just instead of controlling your nutrition, you start exercising or, you know, who knows, right? It's just like kind of self-improvement stuff. You just, you start doing other things because you kind of identify, you're like, oh, hey, like I'm the type of person that can do these things. And, you know, there you go. So, you know, pro tip, I guess, start small. Yeah. That's that's the best way. And was there, was there a moment this year for you where, you know, because my, my desire is always to be like, okay. I've my schedule screwed up because of COVID. I have mm-hmm. I also have a I have a kid with some health issues that we were having real trouble um yeah. scheduling doctors visits doctors visits yeah. in person just ended. They still yeah. they still are real weird and hard to come by. N- non-existent yeah. in Los Angeles. Um my dietary structures over suddenly i'm i'm a teacher because my kids are now doing everything at home and <laughs> and, and and not even that i'm teaching them i'm just like i'm just the hall monitor going like why aren't you sitting in front of zoom yeah <laughs> i want on day 2 to have figured everything out and be running smoothly so i i think start start small is the is the best approach and it's like pick one thing and and master that and then move on to the next but there does seem to be sometimes this overwhelming i don't know if it's anxiety or what that will wash over me where it's like no i need to have it all figured out right now yeah well so i i, I tied this into the discipline chapter it's kind of the the long-term perspective right the delayed gratification and it's a really hard thing to do but we are human and what happens boy, it seems like every single one of us wants results and we want things, you know, fixed and, you know, quote unquote, perfect yesterday. And yeah, it just doesn't work like that, unfortunately, because we are human and we're always making mistakes and messing up. So it's really hard to overcome because you have to really convince yourself. And like you said, it's not just something where you flip the switch overnight. It's usually this gradual thing where you just start working on it. And of course you'll mess up. Of course you'll make little errors but you just kind of get back on track and you just have to remind yourself it's a long game. You're not necessarily doing this to flip that switch and be perfect tomorrow. It's like, no, you just kind of get a little bit better. Again, it really goes back to that start small process because that's really how it works. 
you just do something, get some of that, and you just keep going, you keep building from there. And it's a really hard thing for people to do, for being completely honest, because it's so hard to fight that and be like, hey, you know what? I did a little bit today. It almost doesn't even feel like it. And it's so hard to keep that consistency up versus just trying to shoot for the moon because you're like, well, boy, I'm, I'm really motivated right now. I might as well aim for the moon. But you know what happens, Ethan, right? Like you do that and you fall off the wagon after a week and you're just like completely burnt out. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I feel like I, I I was listening to or reading an economist recently that was talking about handling personal finance and and their advice was even don't try to pay your mortgage off. Like don't make that the first goal. Pay off all the little stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that this can translate into anything Yeah. where if you're overwhelmed, pick something that you can control and, and work on that. And once you've got it, move on. Right. So I like that you said that something that you can control. So I think that's a big key to it. So if we go back to the analogy of of starting small, right? So if we think too big, we almost get overwhelmed because there's so many things that we could do, right? Like you could pick a hundred different things with your nutrition or your health or your fitness. And it's really hard to be like, ah, you just get overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. You don't know what's going on. You just pick something really small, something so small and easy. It's totally under your control. And that's what gives you that sort of internal locus of control, gives you that confidence. Because once you get that, well, boom, you're like, well, what, what have I been doing this whole time? I should have been doing this. Whereas if you don't really know where to start, boy, I think back to maybe a good analogy here. You know, if, if I have car troubles, let's say, well, I, don't know, I don't know anything about engines. So like, what am I going to do? Could I learn and watch on YouTube and stuff? I, I guess I could. <laughs> but where where would I start? I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'd probably watch some video where like someone's building an engine. I'd be like, I'm checked out literally after three seconds. So I, I just that's why I go to you know go to go to an expert or you know I would have a, a coach so to speak and hey just let them do it because it's really hard when you're starting out. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, and with food, it's it's becomes particularly tricky too because it's like this is something we've all been doing our whole lives we've all been eating you know to to actually get into the the weeds of like how this is adversely affecting me and the fact that we're not all the same you know like a blown carburetor is probably on the same type of car a pretty similar fix but then I I would imagine you get people from all walks of life with all different types of goals and it's like you can't just throw a one-size-fits-all solution at them. Yeah, totally. There's definitely a lot of nuance. So when RP first got started, we we worked with a lot more athletes and people that were a little bit more serious and hardcore about it. And the really cool thing is over time, it sort of naturally grew out and, you know, those tentacles started to spread out a little bit more and more to people that didn't have those hardcore goals. And you're right, man, we definitely had to, to tweak our own philosophy and methodology because the feedback that we would get from people is just like, Hey, this is just a bit too much or it's just a little bit too hardcore. Like I need something that's a bit simpler. So a really good example would be, you know, we started out with these original diet templates way back in 2015 and boy, they worked really well for people that were already into fitness, uh, had a good understanding of of macros and, and stuff like that. 
But what we ended up doing was we had to create a simpler approach. Like now we have simple diet templates. And again, those are really good for general population people because you don't have to worry about your nutrient timing as much. You don't have to you know, worry about having a, a shake around training because maybe some people don't even train, right? Like they just, they just want to get healthy. And so you're right. You have to be able to adapt your approach because if you try doing a one size fits all, you're, 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 you're doing a disservice to many people out there. If that's your idea. Right. And, and this also, I think, you know, I think it b bleeds over into the perspective where it's like, you have an athlete and an athlete comes to work with you and an athlete is trying to get like that last one or two percent of, you know, uh -huh. usefulness out of training and nutrition. And it's like they're already an athlete, right? Yeah. Ver versus, I, I mean, look, man, it took me honestly years of, of like, trial and error and doing stuff that I, that was not long-term that had no maintenance periods worked into it. That was like the idea of like, no, no, a diet is just to lose weight. And then like everything after a diet yeah, is yeah. ambiguous. You don't think about that because you're dieting right now, you know? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and that for me was a recipe for this, this yo-yo thing, which I never fully understood because I could lose weight so Easily I could suffer and it wasn't yeah. the hardest thing. Like make me hungry. I'll be hungry for six months. Fine. No problem. You know, like I work with Jared now and on the last most extreme cut that he had me on, he was like, are you okay? Are you too hungry? And I was like, dude, are you fucking crazy? Like this is, <laughs> this is a cakewalk compared to like some of the suffering I've done. This is not suffering, which was really mind blowing to me. But I think after working all that stuff in with the maintenance periods, yeah. I think it's really, really smart. But there is – I would not have been ready for that 15 years ago, you know. Yeah. And so there has to be, again, this way of easing somebody's perspective into it gradually over time, you know. And I think I think what, what you're talking about with the little things is key. Yeah, totally. I mean, so that was one of the big things when I was writing this book is uh, I really wanted to make sure at the end of each chapter, there's like a little take home message. So even if you read it all, whatever, and it's not a super long read, you could probably read it in, you know, an afternoon, you know, a, a decently long flight, I'm sure. Um, but it was, I really wanted to make sure like, hey, let's make sure at the end of each chapter, like, there's something very actionable you can take from this. And it's not something that has to be huge and drastic. But it's just something little. And again, it just goes back to the consistency. You just do something little and you just keep going. You keep building from there. And all of a sudden, man, if you do that for a few weeks or you know, a couple of months, like you can really be a different person in a handful of months. And it's not necessarily that you completely change. But again, you just start getting better habits. And like you said earlier, we've all been eating. Uh, real, real quick, a funny story. I always like when people say on Instagram or social media, they're like, I'm starting RP tomorrow. I'm really nervous. <laughs> and I think to myself, I'm like, you're, you're nervous. What are you nervous about? You've, you've eaten food every single day of your life for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Like, and I get it, right. I'm being a little, uh, whatever, a little, little dramatic here, but uh, I always just get a kick out of that. So, well, Bob, I mean, that is kind of the wonderful thing about what you guys do, which was 
you know, and I had kind of – I had come through to it just from watching a, couple, a TED Talk with Mike, with Dr. Mike, mm-hmm. where where it, I had, a, I had an, another perspective shift on food. And yeah. for the longest time, food was the – food was the culprit and it was what food was doing to me. And so I had to just excise certain types of food in order to be okay eating. And then I watched this thing and realized like, Oh, oh all these um, goals that I have that I'm, I'm having trouble getting it's, I'm still not doing it totally right. Like I've become responsible enough to deal with food in the way I need to, but I I don't have all the information that's going to allow me to get to exactly where I want to get. And so that was a cool kind of uh, shift. But I've done so many diets that you should be scared to start that beginning that diet, life becomes really, really hard and miserable. and, And you have to go through a certain amount of suffering and you have to be prepared for like to be mentally drained and physically drained. And like, that's, that's really not what you guys do. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to get like super hardcore and get into bodybuilding shape, like Jared, okay, there's going to be a little bit of suffering involved because you're sort of signing up for it. You're asking for it. You want to be a bodybuilder. Okay. I get that. But a lot of people out there, the vast majority of people, they just want to lose weight. They just want to get healthier. They just want to look better. And yeah, dieting can be a little uncomfortable. Like you can't, you know, sit down and eat everything you want all the time, but like you don't necessarily have to flip this switch and it just immediately has to be the worst thing in the world. Like there's probably a middle ground in there. You know, it's not like, Oh, super easy. Eat whatever you want all the time. Yahoo. Candy land. Blah, 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 blah. But also it's not pure misery, torture, there's eh, probably something in the middle, right? Like it's not uh, it's not the either or that sometimes people like to make it out to be. Yes, I'm not trying to say that it's not effort. It require <laughs> it certainly requires effort. Any of them require effort. But like the difference between like an HCG diet, HGC or HCG, yeah. one of those things, where everybody eats 500 calories a day and it's like two ounces or three ounces of protein twice a day and a Melba toast and a piece of uh, zucchini. And that's the meal. And like, if if you're 500 pounds, that's what you eat. If you're 200 pounds, that's what you eat. Like doing a diet like that, which I've done, or like the, the cayenne pepper diet or, you know, lemonade thing or, you know, even like even the beginning of Atkins or something, it's it's so jarring and so shocking and you have yeah. so little feeling of nourishment from food at that point where your body is literally consuming itself. But I, I then again go back to for different people, there becomes a point where you wake up one day and it's like I, I have less empathy for a guy who's like I need to lose this 10 pounds. I have some empathy for them and I and I want them to be successful at losing that 10 pounds. But when it's a guy who needs to lose 200 or 300 pounds or even 100 or even 75 pounds, you know, massive weight loss, uh-huh. Uh-huh. there can be that need to get it off really quick, you know. And I think that that anxiousness and that anxiety of, you know, I see, when I think about people who have, have the surgeries or – 
are going on these really, really extreme diets, my heart goes out to them because it's like, yeah, I've been there. I know that feeling. I, I just don't – I didn't have long-term success doing that. Yeah, it's really – at the end of the day, the more hardcore, the faster you want to lose it, typically, just the greater chance you have a burnout, right? It's just – it's really hard to sustain that, like you said. So – and again, if you've maybe done that a little bit before – well, I'd like to think that when you go back to the education piece, well, you know, hopefully over time, people, if they do a little trial and error, they're like, hey, you know what? I was able to lose weight really fast, but it was hard to sustain. Like, maybe I'll just go a little bit slower. Because a lot of times what we see is, and you've already mentioned this quite a bit, we'll look at people that straight up have told us they've tried everything in the world. And they're like, um, I'm ready for something else. We're like, okay. And then we come in and we go, all right, well, you can eat a lot of these foods. You don't have to cut it all out, but let's just go slow and steady. Lose a little bit each week and we're just going to diet for, you know, two, three months. It's not forever. And people are like, huh. Right. So, okay, you can go a little bit slower. You have some maintenance periods in there that are intentional. And uh, it, it's tough because you got to you gotta overcome that hurdle of people wanting results as fast as possible but hopefully over time, people start to understand that, yeah, those really fast results, they come with big trade-offs. And those trade-offs are you're just more likely to backslide. And if you go a little bit slower, you're able to keep all that progress. And then what happens, you know, six months, a year from now, you're way ahead of the curve now. And you have that confidence. You have that momentum. It just all feeds on itself. And it's kind of this just positive feedback loop that leads to more and more healthy lifestyle habits. Yeah. And the key that that I would just, and I don't know about the science behind it. It's all anecdotal, but it is the thing that I look at as the most valuable kind of aspect of the program you guys run for me has been maintenance. And mm-hmm. I say this because every diet, I, you know, like even with the diet where it's like the two ounces of chicken and Melba toast, there is a quote unquote maintenance period at the end where you are just increasing your calories a little bit. So it's like the idea that all diets just are exactly the same from start to end. It's not totally true. There is usually some kind of graduation back into life, but it is at the end of the diet. It isn't in the middle of the diet and it isn't something that somebody might have to do six or eight or 10 times. And for me, that is the period where I am learning how to eat not on a diet, if if that yeah. makes sense, where I'm learning, I'm learning what it is to be as close to what I consider, and I use this in a slightly derogatory way, a normal person, you know, just enviously uh, derogatory. But but <laughs> this idea that we're we're just going to eat very little from point A to point B, and then be be that weight forever. That's crazy. Yeah. I almost, what I like to tell people is, and, and maybe you can back this up, but I'd be curious as your feedback on it. You know, it's not all that hard to lose weight, right? Like you can do some, some crazy stuff and all that. You can lose weight. But what's really hard to do is to maintain those results. And again, we've already talked about this, but the faster you do it, the faster it wants to come back on. So again, yeah, you can rush to get it done. But it's going to be really hard to maintain that. And do you really learn as much as you could if you did a little bit slower and planned a little bit longer term and had all this stuff in? Because, you know, at RP, we like to tell people, you know, dieting is not a lifestyle. It's it's not sustainable by definition because you're reducing calories. So it's not something you can be on all the time. Right. 
But what is sustainable is eating to maintain your body weight, right? You, you're eating enough food where you're about even with your body weight. It's going to stay roughly the same. It might change a little bit here or there, of course. Like there's always water weight stuff. But at the end of the day, you can maintain that, right? And you can maintain that as long as you want. So if we want to use myself, so another personal anecdote, I haven't dieted in probably a year and a half, two years now. It's like I've I've done it plenty of times over the last 10, 12 years or whatever. But now I'm now at a point where, you know, I can end a diet at let's call it 210 pounds. And I'm right now like 212, 213, and I eat pretty freely. That's really the idea behind it because when you have that education, when you become empowered, you can do all these things and you feel totally fine and comfortable with it. Like that's really the end state. Like that's what we want people to do because then they don't have to feel so restricted all the time because nobody wants that. Yeah, and by building it into the center of the of the thing rather than just at the tail end, I think you I just think it's an it's a more elegant progression in my opinion. Um and it's uh, every diet I've ever done when I go off that diet, there's a lot of fear and apprehension about weight gain. And rightfully so because I typically mm-hmm. will gain weight back. Um Yeah. Having done uh, so many maintenance periods where – and I got to tell you, it's a lot of mental BS that I have had to push through, especially in the beginning, where it's like this is a waste of time. I'm not actively approaching my goal right now. I'm just – what is this weird pause You know, is (laughs) is how it seems. But once I've – like you talked about the baby steps or the the tiny little things that were were taking control over once i've allowed it to take its time and realized that i'm not spr- i'm not necessarily sprinting towards my goal i'm going to get to my goal eventually these maintenance periods have been a real real change in in my mental and my anxiety level in you know, yeah. COVID hits and it's like everything's changing now. And Jared goes, you know, we we don't really have anything to do. Let's go on an extended maintenance period. And I'm like, okay, great, because it's more just training on life. Yeah, you nailed it. It's a, I mean, that's exactly what it is. At the end of the day, it's just training to be able to live your life every day. And I wonder if a better approach might be in terms of the mindset is to tell people – don't think of maintenance as taking a step back. Okay, you might gain a couple pounds back just because you're eating more and it's just like water weight. It's, it's, it's no big deal. It is really hard for sure. It is a big mental hurdle to get over. But maybe we could tell people to think of it, you know, what do people always say? You take three steps forward, one step back. But don't think of it as a step back. Think of it as just a step to the side. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All you do is you step over to the side a little bit. You hang tight for, you know, a couple months or whatever. And then you just keep going forward, right? Because then let's say you lost 20 pounds in your first diet phase. Well, you'll gain back, let's go two, three, something like that. And then, but you maintain it for a little bit. Now you can do another phase. And let's say you lose another 20 pounds. Well, boy, you know, six, eight months later, you're down 40 pounds. I mean, pretty much on anybody, 40 pounds is going to be a pretty big fundamental shift in sort of who they are and how better they feel, I would imagine. So yeah, it is tough. And it goes back to the whole delayed gratification thing. You just have to be able to, 
convince people, educate them that it is a longer term process. And the longer you can think in terms of your time horizon, probably the better off you're going to be. And that's true for many, many things, not just uh, nutrition. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's if it, if a gal wants to, you know, fit into a dress next week and then doesn't care about fitting into it the week after, maybe you're not thinking about like a three, a three week maintenance period or a six week maintenance period. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's mm-hmm. completely irrelevant. And, and, and I think that's goal oriented, but um, yeah, f- for me, for when it, when it is really like, Hey, I, I keep having these years of struggle and suffering and I can do it. And I get to a point where I'm happy. And then it's just like, my life spins out of control again that's what i'm trying to tackle more than anything is that point and that point isn't necessarily going to be tackled in one fell swoop maybe it's going to take four or five iterations before i start to actually clue into how my body feels once it eats enough calories in a sitting you know which is something i think i've deadened through decades of abuse yeah, totally. I, you know, I, I have a really interesting question that, that I wanted to ask you when you said something earlier. Um, so when you listen to, to Dr. Mike's TED Talk about the healthy eating stuff, I mean, had you ever really heard that stuff before? Because what I found, and even when I was writing my own, this book here, is that, you know, some of the stuff I had heard before in my life, right? But it just sometimes you're just at a, a point in your life where you hear something and it just resonates and it just sticks differently. Like, was that the case at all when you were listening to Mike's video? Or was this like just truly kind of the first time you had heard it explained like that? I'm just kind of curious as to that. Listen, I am sure I I don't feel like he was the guy who discovered all of that information. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I, but so I think it was really I really kind of like I was watching him and I was like just like loving this guy and his energy and his attitude. And, you know, at one point he, and I had no point of reference on him, but at one point he jokes about being like six, two or something in it. And I remember thinking, Jesus, if he's six, two, he's a fucking absolute monster. And then I, and then I realized like, no, he's kidding. You know? Yeah. You know, if I go back to like, I think her name's Adele Davis, which was like the diet books my mom was reading to me as a kid or even Fit for Life or some of these things. I I mean, I don't know. I'm sure I've had that data before. That said, I live in Los Angeles. I have been inundated with every version of here's what's poisoning you. And so that that is a lot louder than – you know, Mike's kind of like the food isn't the issue, you know, and and there are ways to like balance all this so you're going to be okay. That other stuff is much louder out here yeah. than – and so that kind of just had overwhelmed me for many, many years of looking for like, well, I'll go try this nutritionist and he's going to look at my blood and he's going to say – here are the five foods I'm not allowed to eat, and it's going to solve everything. Do you, you, you know what I mean? 100%. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because a lot of times people are looking for that little, like, you know, magic bullet that, yeah, hey, if you just cut out raspberries, right. that's it. That's, that's it. it. There you go. Yep. You just can't eat raspberries. Like, because people want that. Like, people really want this simplistic, 
answer. And boy, I'm really going to be the bearer of bad news. A lot of times it's just not that simple. Or maybe it is in the sense of if you just truly master the basics and you just just focus really hard on consistency. Yep, there, there's, there's yeah. that and there's also the like what's wrong with me. You know, and yeah. and I know yeah. that there are people who have stuff that is wrong and and wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the idea of right and wrong, but like you, you have a dude with celiac who's eating pasta every night and getting these yeah. terrible stomach aches. And it's like, OK, pasta's the problem. Right. And if you don't yep. know that, then that's a really a much more confrontable fix than, you know, how I've been eating McDonald's every night or, or Jack in the box or, or Wendy's or what, whatever, you know, at 3 a.m. and eating meal, a meal that should satisfy four by myself. That's what's the issue. I was just always happier when somebody would go like, well, lectins are causing you yeah. inflammation, which is making you fat or, you know, you're eating for the wrong blood type or, you know, get rid of carbs. Those, those, those issues satisfied something in me more because it, 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 I don't know. It was a mixture of like figuring out what was wrong with me and me not having to necessarily be responsible about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So here's the, here's the thing that I always kind of come down to, well, you know, supply and demand. So what are people really demanding? People are demanding these sort of simplistic answers to complex things, right? Like it's not really just any one particular thing. I do like the example you gave if someone you know has some health issues, like, yeah, it very well could actually be, but that's probably not the majority of people. Right. But so again, people demand those simple answers. So what are people doing out there? Oh boy, there's a lot of people that are going to supply these simplistic answers. You know, Hey, don't eat these three foods. Don't eat this macronutrient group. And I get it. It just, it's a simple amount. It's a simple approach. It's a simple model. And if you're just starting out, a simple approach like that might actually work for a good amount of time. But what happens when we start thinking longer term, because like you said earlier, a lot of these don't really focus on what you do after. It's just sort of like, hey, here you go. You're going to lose weight. Okay, great. Well, now what? Well, again, it goes back to the balance equation. So if we want to focus on balance and long term and having that longer term time horizon, well, we need to be more complex because you have to be, right? Because who wants to not eat you know, carbs the rest of their life? I mean, I don't know. There's probably some people, but it's tough. It is tough, and and I did get to the point where I was I was resigned to that that was how I was gonna live for the rest of my life. But even that, man, I gotta tell you, even that, I I I I, I fall into the trap of like even when I'm trying to be on a good version of that, and I'm looking for sugar free bacon, you know, because yeah. I, I because I because fat is. Because I've I've convinced myself that that fat is good and carbs are bad, I'm yeah. still not getting my goal. It's still I'm still putting the the responsibility on the food versus how I'm inter- how my body's interacting with the food and and what I'm using it for and and it, and it took a lot and it took probably hearing this information in various forms and then f- and then landing on mics and for some reason. That day, I had the right amount of sleep and the right determination and, yeah. the, and the exact goal in mind where when I watched it, it just clicked and I was like, oh, 
well, I'm going to give this a shot. But even then, dude, and, and even today, it's the strangest thing having lost 300 pounds on a maintenance period where I don't want to see weight gain or weight loss. I still am, am conflicted about when I get on a scale. If it's not lower, I feel dissatisfied and I have to talk myself through the yeah. fact that this is – this is what I'm trying. This is what this is my goal. My goal is no movement. I had no movement. What am I beating myself up about? You know? Yeah, you're right, man. It is a really hard mental hurdle to get over. And I've this I've heard it probably a million times. People will say maintenance is harder than the actual diet. And uh, you know, I get it because you're so kind of sing singularly focused on that diet phase that it's. It's not easy, of course, but it feels easier because you have that big, big goal you're aiming for. And then, you know, it's like kind of training for the Olympics, right? So you train for four years, go to the Olympics, and it's like, well, what do you do after the Olympics are over? Right. Well, boy, like, ah. I mean, even that, I, did you watch that uh, documentary that uh, Michael Phelps did? No, but I got to. I watched the one on um, Michael Jordan, who's another yeah. incredible athlete, but Michael Phelps did a great one. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it was all about uh, mental health. And so it was all about, you know, what happens to all these Olympians sort of after the games or, you know, preparing for the next games or whatever. And it, it is, I can only imagine, boy, you spent four years of your life training for essentially one day or a couple days, let's say. And then all of a sudden that's over. Like, I'm sure you could talk to Jared and, you know, be like, hey, what happened once you won your pro card? You're, you're an IFBB pro now. Like, what do you do the next day? Like, do you, because I've competed before in bodybuilding. It was just the strangest feeling the day after because you're just like, okay, I just took three, four, five, six months of my life dedicated to this one particular thing. What in the hell do I do now? Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I do think maintenance is is probably hardest for all those reasons, but that's why it, I also think it's the most – subtly gratifying it's the most useful it's the thing it, it it really is the thing that i had never experienced before if i'm being completely honest i had never done a diet which had maintenance periods built into the middle of it it was always yeah. at the end it was always like you've been having three ounces of chicken twice a day now we're going to move to four ounces you can have a tablespoon of olive oil for 20 days right and then we're done and then you're kind of on your own. But that's the end. And that, in my opinion, doesn't work as well as stretching it out, allowing it to take its time and focusing on maintenance. Yeah, that seems to make a ton of sense to me too because then you're sort of just turning the keys over to that person who – you know, did they really learn much about healthy eating? I don't know. You could make a pretty good argument that they really didn't because – yeah, they were just following this really rigid plan and they didn't sort of realize that maybe instead of chicken, they could have been eating turkey or they could have been eating beef or, you know, whatever it is. Like, ah, uh, what do you do after that? Yeah. They tell you, okay, cool. Well, program's over. We'll, uh, I don't know. What do they even say? Do they say, we'll see you later? Like, is it, I don't know. Like, should, should you run that again? I have no idea. Well, I, I almost suspect that like, uh, like a shifty auto mechanic, um, to go back to that analogy, right. that they're, they're expecting to see you again. You know, they're yeah. expecting to see you in a year or two or however long it takes to, to regain the weight. Um, so yeah, do the diet, do them the version of maintenance, which is just like a, a little, ramp back to how you used to eat 
that got you into the place that you needed to diet in the first place and then like repeat. Mm -hmm. It's just this, you know, I I mean, I think about it too with a lot of um, American pharmacology. It's like one thing, you take one thing to, to treat one issue, but it gives you another issue. So you need another thing to treat that. And it's like at the end of the day, we're all just patching ourselves up with pills and like uh, ignorance almost, you know? Yeah, well, so that's, I mean, that's where someone like Dr. Spencer comes in. He's like, well, maybe, maybe we wait on the medicine and we focus on these other things first. Like we get you eating better, we get you working out. And then, hey, you know, lo and behold, a few months later, a year, whatever it is, man, you don't even hopefully need those medicines because you're tackling the root cause of, of you know, it's just a bad, unhealthy lifestyle, which is stuff, man. I guess, uh, pun intended here, it's a tough pill to swallow when that's really the answer. Yeah. All right, back to fit for success. Did did you find a through line with a lot of these successful people that was similar? Yeah, so so really the whole book is about it's kind of seven main pillars of, of success, right? That successful people do. They have these things in common. So one, they have work ethic, right? At the end of the day, you can have all the best ideas in the world, but if you don't actually put those into action, that's how you create success. At the end of the day, work ethic, hard work creates your success. Got to start there. So that's at the bottom of the pyramid. We've talked about this a little bit already. Right above that is internal locus of control. So do you feel that the things you do matter or do things happen to you? So your food analogy is kind of interesting because it sounds like once you kind of realize that you were actually in control and it, was, it wasn't necessarily the food's fault, well, everything seemed to shift, right? And I think that's probably not a coincidence because it seems to tie really in with internal locus of control and just kind of being more likely to take charge. And then you're more hopeful, right? Because if you feel that the, the things you do are going to matter and are going to impact your results, boy, it just goes right with it. You're going to work harder. You're going to be more optimistic. You're just, you're going to get after it more. So that's the cool part. Like, does that make sense with, uh, with your analogy? Yes, it does. And I think that that's what, that's what I'm talking about this perspective shift. So Mm -hmm. it really is at the end of the day, just a point of view. And I think that whatever point of view you have, it's valid. Like, you know, you, you tell me that, um, you are powerless to chocolate. Fine. Then you, as long as you believe it, that that, then it's true. You know what I mean? So the, the ability to, to change your mind and, and go like, do my actions have an effect or not? Yep. Like yep. what you're talking about, H- how do you how do you go about seeing that? Is it just working on something small so you can objectively see that your that your actions have some yep. F- yep. effect? Yeah. No. I listen. Yeah. Yeah. You, that's what I'm. And again, like, yeah. So I've written this book now, but like, I'm learning more and more about this, and you know, it kind of it, it is interesting because. Uh, boy, there's another podcast, uh, you know, the Jocko podcast. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I I love just knowing that that dude's up every day at 4 a.m. working out. I love it. Totally. And I was just listening to one the other day, uh, with a guy named uh, Mike Sorelli was on it. Um, I just got introduced to him actually. Uh, Mike Sorelli's a really cool guy. And they were talking about like, I don't want you know the way you, you see everything in that light. And you're just like, oh, wow. Like things make a lot more sense now. And uh, again, I'm not saying I have all the answers because I most certainly don't. I never want anyone to think that. But, you know, now that I've kind of maybe pieced a few of these things together, well, boy, now I see things a whole lot differently now, just like you're saying. That's just a really cool thing 
to know and to see and to do. Like, I just love it, man. I'm just, I'm reading all the time now and I'll, you know, read all these cool stories about people and whether they're really successful or the really interesting thing is reading about people that are unsuccessful because you, you kind of have these ideas, these hypotheses and you're like, okay, well, these work with successful people, but are, are they maybe just outliers? Then I made it a habit to go read about people that were, you know, unsuccessful or, you know, that, that messed up and all that stuff. And it's like, well, they actually kind of do the exact opposite of what successful people do. And I'm like, that's probably a good sign that I'm on the right track here. So, um, that's, it's been really interesting, man. I just, I love talking about this stuff, uh, as much as, as I do fitness and nutrition. So it's been really cool for me. Um, and then, so just real quick, kind of getting back to the seven pillars. So after internal locus of control, and this goes right with it, just like you were saying, positive mindset. Yeah. Well, what happens when you believe that the things you do matter? You're more optimistic, right? So uh, you can read about positive psychology. So Martin Seligman is a really cool guy to, to go read about, um, did some really cool studies. So just real quick, back in like the 60s, he sort of uh, had this idea of like learned helplessness, which okay. relates to a lot of what we're talking about. I'm probably not doing it that great of justice. There's a book called Learned Optimism. But he did some studies and they actually did them on dogs. They could not do these studies today because they, I think they were like administering some small shocks to dogs. So couldn't, definitely couldn't do it today. But when these dogs would get shocked and there was really nothing that they could do in the future, like even if they had a clear path out of this little thing, they would just sit and kind of cower, right? Like, because they didn't believe that anything they did mattered. So like, why would they do anything? And so that's kind of that idea of learned helplessness. On the, on the opposite of that, you kind of have the learned hopefulness. So if you believe the things that you do matter, you're more positive, you're more hopeful, right? And so that's actually an interesting difference between optimism and hope. Well, optimism is just like, ah, I think things are going to get better. And, you, you know, you don't really know if there's anything you can do about it. You just, you think things are going to get better. What's really cool about having hope, well, you're hopeful because you know the things you do matter. So I just, I find all these things fascinating. I think they all kind of tie together and all these things are sort of interwoven together. Um, so those are the top three. Um, and then there's, you know, discipline after that. So again, if you get started, you create that positive momentum, you know, the things you do matter. Well, then it's just kind of asserting your willpower, so to speak, just getting things to become more habitual, and then after that, you know, things kind of go on autopilot a little bit. I'm not saying they become easy, but you got to kind of use that discipline along the way to just get into the right habits. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I, and I love too, because uh, thinking about it in terms of like autopilot, because I, I th- you know, I think that some of this stuff is innate for some people and that's okay. But if it's not innate for you and certainly is not innate for me, that the the practice of it and, and the use of discipline and, and persistence, you can get to the point where you can be utilizing all of it, you know, which, which mm-hmm. is really hopeful. That's hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. Like I said, I just, I find that I love this because I think it all kind of ties back and I think it just sort of creates this, uh, you know, positive feedback loop where you start doing it and you start feeling better or you gain momentum and confidence. And then you just want to keep doing it because you are feeling better and you're like, wow, this is really cool. I do X, Y, Z, you know, I get outcomes 
you know, ABC. You're like, wow, that's that's really cool. That's really interesting. There's just real quick to round out the the last three. So after yeah. discipline number five is, you know, like your purpose and meaning. Like ultimately, like why are you doing what you're doing? And you know, if you really have some strong core fundamental beliefs and values, I'm not saying it makes everything easier, but it just, you know, just it makes if you are doing something really hard, it just it lets you get through it, so to speak. I guess. Right. Sure. And then real quick, so uh, number six. So we're getting towards the top of the pyramid here. And this is one that I find super interesting, failure. And so a lot of people are like, why would failure be a part of success? And it's a lot of people think that successful people, you know, don't fail. They don't mess up. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. And a lot of people are so afraid of failure that they don't even take the action to get started in the first place. And it's like, well, how does failure relate to this? Well, successful people, if they fail, well, they just try to learn from it, right? And they hopefully don't repeat those same mistakes. Or even if they do repeat them, you know, like hopefully they're learning something or they're doing whatever they can to get better, to not let these things happen or, you know, change things or, you know, all this stuff. And so that's really the cool thing about failure that you know, it's fascinating to learn, especially from successful people. They're like, sometimes they'll be the first to admit it. They're like, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? Like I fail all the time. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to fail. So long as you kind of pick yourself back up, you keep going, hopefully you'll learn a little bit from it. And, you know, listen, all these things we've mentioned are super, super hard. They're not easy. And boy, I wish they were easier, but and again, maybe they do become easier over time if they become part of kind of who you are, because you're, it's more of just a habit. It's habitual now, you know, so at the top of the pyramid, the very last one is the idea of recharge, you know, and we can all, you know, talk about going all day long. Yeah. Hardcore brother, go, 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 go. Right. Well, you know, you can only do that for so long before you're going to hit that wall and you're going to burn out. So if you kind of find that, that balance, you have to strike that balance. You have to strike that dichotomy, which you said earlier you know, in the podcast, like you have to find that because, you know, think of a car. If you're just slamming on the gas all day long, you know, month after month, well, what's going to happen, right? You're something's going to go wrong. Yeah, I so failure for me, uh, and and I had a a paradigm shift with failure just reading Beckett, you know, as a kid, um, and he said, "Ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, fail better." And the idea of failing better for me was like, oh, it kind of gave me permission to do the stuff that I was avoiding doing because I would I would fail. Yeah. Um, which was a magical moment. And then recharge, like when I think about my life in objective terms, the things that have really been a big shift um, towards me seeing like the next level of shit that I've tried to achieve have been maintenance periods in my diets and deloading at the gym. And those two things, it's like, like you said, yeah, we can, you know, this, this like really macho thing of like, just go lay it all out on the line. And it's like, yeah, I think of it in terms of like an Olympic hurdler, the best Olympic hurdler cannot run hurdles forever. Eventually he's going to fall down. Yeah. You know, you got to actually take a moment and like catch your breath. You have to. Yeah, totally, man. A lot of people I'm not sure, you know, maybe 
maybe it's a Western culture thing. I don't know, but, but we love that idea of just, you, you just want to go and you just go hard. Right. And it's sort of glorified a little bit, you know, which is fine, whatever. But sometimes I think people then wrongly assume that they always have to have that fire and they always have to be super motivated. And then you, you sort of tell people, you're like, that's not the case, man. Even the most successful people. Um, so I've you know, had some conversations with, you know, some of the, uh, you know, CrossFit Games champions and things like that. And I've asked them, like, what do you guys, like, are you guys always motivated? Like, what happens on days you don't want to go? And they're just like, yeah, we have those days too. Everyone does. But guess what? Like, you know, we'll just, we'll just get out there. Who knows? Maybe we're not even planning on doing a full workout, but we'll just get out there. We'll just get started. We'll just start doing a little bit. Maybe it's just a warm up to cardio. And then what happens? Well, you start working out a little bit. You feel better. The endorphins start rushing. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, wow, I just did the whole workout. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. That's awesome. Man, Nick, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, man, of course. It's uh, it's my pleasure. I love talking about health. I love talking about fitness and nutrition. I love talking about you know mindset and what makes people successful. Could, uh, I feel like I could talk all day, but uh, people might say I'm rambling on. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> nah, I think it's great. And by the way, it is a very like it is a wonderfully calm. But are you and Mike from the same part of the country? Because you guys have similar uh, inflections in your voice. I don't know. I feel like maybe I've just talked to them so much over time. I hear that all the time. Uh, people hear me talk, or they hear Mike talk, or vice versa, or whatever, and they're just like. Well, you guys are, you know, we're just very interchangeable, so to speak, when when we talk like that. I don't know what it is. Maybe I've just listened to him too much. I don't think you're interchangeable at all. I think you're really like, I don't know, like your your rant is almost more tender. I don't mean to like emasculate you at all, but it is (laughs) like it's a little bit more gentle, you know. Maybe it's because you have kids. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That could be, man, we could have a whole podcast just about kids and parenting. Um, (laughs) real quick, the the only thing I'll say on that is, um, so when it comes to the whole failure concept, this is something that I have to, you know, kind of tell myself every single day because I'm sure you can relate to this, you know, kids are being homeschooled a little bit more now. And, um, I I actually, thankfully our our kids are going back to school soon. Like I'm I'm really happy for them to be able to see some friends and, and all that. But, um, it's so hard to sit there watching your young kids third and first grade because obviously, you know, they're doing very simple math. Like I know it, you know, so I, I feel pretty good. I'm like, Oh, I know that, but they don't, they're still learning it. They're still trying to grasp some of these concepts. I'm just like, ah, I so badly just want to make oh, no, the answers 10. Like, yeah. But you got, you, you gotta, you gotta let them go through that. You gotta let them mess up here and there, you know, get a couple wrong. So they, you know, gotta, got some things to learn and, oh my gosh, it's so hard sometimes. It really is. Yeah. And yeah. like with anything too, it's, you know, somebody's perspective, it's mm-hmm. just hard to get it to change. The difference between allowing a kid to learn math so that they know it and telling them the answers is kind of exactly the same with 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 this kind of perspective thing that we're talking about it's like somebody wants the answer and it's like well listen what i'm doing every day might not even necessarily be the answer for you the answer i think really is a shift in your point of view and how you see the world and that requires a bunch of education and understanding. And like you said, 
really the way you've laid out this book is really a perfect kind of thing to look at and go like, okay, yes, hope and optimism and do my actions actually produce results? These are the things that I think get you there. But you, it's it's not just like be strong, go to the gym, work hard. You know what I mean? Like those kind of simple blunt statements I don't think will really do it for everyone. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there's always a balance and a fine line. And I guess it's, you know, I guess the, the idea of the book is just to kind of help people with that and just kind of navigate it. And at the end of the day, just have some simple and easy take home messages that, you know, boy, you could, you could put them into action tomorrow. Yeah. Be slowly, but surely getting a little bit better. And that's, I guess there's one thing people take away from it. It's that, you know, just get started with something small and build from there and keep doing that over time. And then you will eventually have a giant castle. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. That's what they say, I guess. (laughs) Amazing. Nick, thank you so much. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. It's always good catching up. Thanks so much. You Uh, too. We're glad glad that you found RP, man. We're we're happy for it. I am too. It's It's been a real life changer. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. All right. Talk to you soon, Nick. And now for the Q&A. Eric wants to know, uh, on an earlier episode, you discussed a very quick and calorie-controlled meal involving rice, yuzu, and beef, something like that. What's your recipe? Rice ponzu, Mm. I think it was. Yuzu, I think, I don't know. Is yuzu some kind of a Japanese booze? Uh, I'm not sure. Or like a... It's another sauce. I'm pretty sure I talked about ponzu. Okay. So... Listen, here's the tricky here's the tricky thing about these these meals and the and the quantities and all of that. I'm going to tell you what is designed what how I design a meal for my body and my body weight and and that's not necessarily going to be the right way for you to put together a meal. But I would go like half a pound of extra lean ground beef, cook it with some onions and mushrooms, throw in a cup of rice, cooked white rice, and then put some ponzu on it. That's basically the meal. Sounds like a good one. It's that simple. Yeah. And you can use um, any kind of lean cut of beef you want. You could do nice, rare cooked Filet mignon, that's a pretty lean cut of meat. Slice that up and put it over some rice and throw some ponzu on there. Ponzu is a fairly magically flavorful sauce with not a lot of calories. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>